Hello, and welcome to Flicks in a Six. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanzo. With me, forever and always, the man, the myth, Comrade Bailsey. Say hello, Al. Who are you, Comrade <laughs> Question? <laughs> Our main topic for this week is going to be Atomic Blonde. But first, Al, what are we drinking? What is it that I poured so horribly for sound effects here? Can you see this? Yeah, mine's just as bad, actually. Oh, really? Take a look at that. I've got about, um, I've got about one-third beer. One third foam and one third empty glass. So I have a little bit uh, more of mistake to make in between. I'm about a one third beer, two thirds foam. I'm gonna pour some more while you uh, while you tell the folks what we're having. Oh god! So oh, we're drinking. <laughs> it's we're drinking so much Keegan Ailes, Keegan Ailes Hurricane Kitty IPA. Um, this is another brewery that's um, right near me. It's in the Hudson Valley. Uh, actually, supposed to be going up to. Check that place out pretty soon. Sweet. I have not been previously. I've never had any of their beers, even though supposedly they're really good. And we're gonna we're gonna try out that theory today. Uh, let me read you a little bit about uh, Keegan Ailes. Let us know, would you? Thank you for choosing Hurricane Kitty, made by Keegan Ailes. You're welcome. <laughs> Our beer is so brewed polite. and bottled right here in the Hudson Valley. What does that mean to you? It means a clean, crisp glass of beer every time. We promise. Hurricane Kitty is a wink, coppery and wink. heavily... Wait, what? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Hurricane Kitty is a coppery and heavily hopped India pale ale. Named after brewmaster Keegan's grandmother, whose driving earned her quite a reputation with local police, racing her six <laughs> children... <laughs> racing her six children to and from a Long Island beach ferry during the 1960s, Hurricane Kitty is the undisputed family favorite. We try to make the hop bill read as aggressively as her driver's record. Good lord. And that's from Tom Keegan, brewmaster. Thank you. Also, they go with a little double entendre. Um, like, their logo is a key. Right. So I think that was kind of uh, vaguely I interesting. It's actually the first thing I noticed when I grabbed this uh, out of the fridge before, is the little key on the bottle cap, and I was like, oh, I like that. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. It's like it's a, a kind of a detail there. understated little uh, deal on the, uh, the, the cap. I dig it. So, cheers. I drank that out of the bottle because I can't approach the glass just yet. Too much foam still? Uh, too much foam. It's not going down either. Um, okay. I'll let... I'll, I, I'll let you go first. I'm going to need a minute to get this out of the glass because uh, the ass of the bottle did not did not do it for me. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. I mean, it's a solid beer. I'm actually not a huge, huge fan of this. I mean, it's definitely something that I probably will drink again. But you know, it has a. What's up? You said coppery, copper. Yes. Copper something. That is that what the mouthful of pennies is. Is that, is, is that where that flavor mean, comes in? I actually think they mean color. I didn't taste any metal in there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see how this is in the glass. It's um, it's not a beer I would seek out per se, but it's pretty common in the area, so I'm sure I'll have it again. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get. I wouldn't get this again. That's surprising. I always hear such good things about this brewery, and I, I think this might be their flagship beer i could be wrong about that though i don't know them as well as i know some other breweries 
Yeah, I there's there's nothing about that flavor that I'm enjoying. Um, I'm not at the point where like I want to pour it out. Like I'll I'll drink this. This is that will be fine. But I'm not going out of my way for it. I actually really intrigued by the maltiness of this beer. Mm. Like I like the grain bill, but the what now? The grain bill. But you said the green bill. No, the grain bill. Um, you but, know what? You could have said green bill. <laughs> I still wouldn't have known what you're talking about. Wait, you don't know what a grain bill is? No. I thought I mentioned it in the past. You on might, have, one I might of the have been episodes. listening. Good to know what you think about what I have to say for our uh, broadcast. Mm, dick. <coughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so the grain bill is literally just like, like think of like a bill of lading or whatever, like, it's the list of the different malts that go into the beer and, like, the ratios that they're at, stuff like oh, that. Okay. I, I'm actually intrigued by the body of this beer, um, but it's the hops that aren't doing it for me, which is a problem when it's an IPA. I was going to say, uh, I maybe I don't know. Well, maybe IPAs are not what I think they are, but this is not. If you had just given me this, I would not have guessed IPA. Well, you can tell it is because, or some form of pale ale, because it's very hoppy but the hops are not really how i'd like them to be it's just it's not a flavorful ipa it's just bitter yeah help me out here the flavor that i don't care for in amber ales is what i'm recognizing here what is that is that the maltiness um, I don't know because the only amber ale that I know both of us have drank is mine and you loved it. Yours was fantastic. <laughs> Let's have that again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know what it is that you don't like. You'd have to describe it for me because I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to do here right now is go like, is take a sip of it and go, you know that, that taste, that, that's what I don't like. I don't know how else to describe We've it. had almost that exact conversation <laughs> once before on this show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's there again. You it's did back. That thing. Yeah, uh, the sound See, is grossing the, me out. If, if it's the maltiness, um, I'm going to disagree with you there because I actually like that part of the beer. It's the only part of the beer I'm enjoying. Hmm. Um, for me, it's the hops almost feel like I'm drinking something burnt because mm-hmm. it's just like the bitterness is just sitting on like my tongue but it's not giving me the delicious delicious hop flavor that i drink an ipa for i'm just, I'm just gonna go out on a limb there and say that the theme of this show is hyped up and underwhelming <laughs> yeah it's um i'm unfortunately disappointed in this beer yeah well moving on <laughs> that's enough of that <laughs> yeah this is would, a, this would is not recommend sorry <laughs> I, i'm gonna have to agree with you this is um only the second, third time. This is going to be one of those ones where, like, I know this happens often, but, like, in about ten minutes, you're going to see me just, like, chug the rest of it and go... <laughs> 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 but, uh... Oh, look, you have water. You brilliant man. Oh, I always have a beer and a water for these men. I, uh... My... I know your... I can tell you my glass of water. I can tell you exactly where it is on the counter. Upstairs. That doesn't help us at all. <laughs> uh, so before we get into this flick, there are a couple things that we wanted to bring up. Um, do you want to start? I've got one, but I'll, well, I can, you have two. So I feel like let's let's you go. I'll go. You go. You want to do one of those? 
perfect, especially since the first of the things is beer-related. Oh, sweet. A perfect segue. Um, so when last we discussed, I was very downtrodden about my Saison. You were very sad. Um, I was able to bottle it. It When I repitched New Yeast, it hit its number. Oh, sweet. Well so, and I mean, I tasted a teeny bit of it, but it was really warm and flat and not... <laughs> and, and not good? <laughs> is that, is that no, no, like, it's say? not a finished product because... <laughs> right. I haven't conditioned it. It's not carbonated. It was room temperature. Um, but it tasted like Saison. Um, yeah, all right. Sweet. So that's a plus. I don't know if it'll be good per se, but it won't be horrible. So that's a plus. I'm still holding out hope that it can still be good. There's nothing. There's no reason it shouldn't be. Yeah. I just don't know for sure if it will be. Hey, well, way to turn it around and hit those numbers. I'll drink to that. Not this beer, but I'll drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drink a beer to that beer. Yeah. Oh. The second... <laughs> the second bit of news, which is nearly infinitely more exciting, is I... What? Infinite adjacent. <laughs> yeah, infinite adjacent. <laughs> um, I acquired a whole bunch of hardware to start brewing beer all grain. Oh, yeah. Here we go. And on Monday, I brewed my first batch. Sweet. Um, friend of the podcast, Josh Arcaro who is a famed chef, joined me because he's been interested by this whole thing. And the two of us made this beer. It was a recipe that I had to come up with from scratch. I had to learn a whole bunch of shit and sign up for um, some software to uh, properly calculate all this. Hmm. Um, and after making a pretty unfortunate mistake uh, at the outset... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm excited for this story. We were able to bounce back, and based on my projections of where this beer should have started as far as its original gravity, we hit the number on the head, so it should probably be fine. Nice. Let's go back to the uh, part where you failed, though. Let's, let's <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> so I'll walk you through kind of the high-level generic step-by-step -step what you do. So what I'm doing is a single infusion mash, which... Sounds with like a dance wait. move. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, um, based on the way that we have access to quality malted barley and stuff now, hmm. that works for pretty much any typical recipe now. You have to be using something funky or doing something funky to need to do more. There are sometimes different steps that you could add so it won't be a single step infusion. It'll be multiple ones, or you could do what's called the decoction mash. So with a single infusion, what you do is you take all of your ground up grains. Uh, so for this one, I definitely should have brought down my brewing notebook, but I wasn't thinking about it. Um, <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? Uh, I forgot I have something I can access quickly on the computer that has all my stuff. There it is. Okay. So the grains I used for this are American Pale Ale malt, which is a pretty standard base malt. It's the one that is going to carry the majority of like the body of this beer, although it will be dominated by the other flavors because that's a plain, pale, generic malt. Mm. I picked Victory Malt, which is a like a trademarked like type of malt, um, and it's one I'm a fan of. And that, so I have six pounds of pale two-row malt, two pounds of victory. I had one pound of 
Crystal or Caramel 40 Love a Bond malt, which is nice, dark. It's a nice caramelly, malty flavor and color to the beer. So I have okay. one pound of that. And then I added a half a pound of amber malt, which adds a nice dark amber color to the beer. Um, pretty small amount because if you use too much of it, it'll just dominate everything else and there'll be no mm. nuance to the flavor at all. So it's a nine and a half pounds total Jeez. of grain. Good uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, So the style of beer... That's, a ba- that's your baby. <laughs> it is. It's a big baby. <laughs> The, uh, I realized I didn't actually mention the style of beer that I brewed for this time around. So it's a uh, British bitter. Uh, it's a British best bitter or special bitter. Uh, those two words are interchangeable. Um, it's kind of the, what was the forerunner to the pale ale in like England. Like it's what made good beer become a thing. Okay. <laughs> um, it's the one that like is kind of the archetype of you picture walking into some old pub. And they're grab the tap and pour you something amber colored. Right. That's pretty much what they're doing in England. You know, something, you know, Americans make fun of being served too warm. (laughs) Right. It's it's probably that side of sort of beer. So it should be about 4.7 or so alcohol by volume. Uh, It'll be about 45 IBUs. So a little bit of bitterness, which it's called a bitter. So kind of to be expected. Mm -hmm. Um, The color should be. Amberish, not super dark, but uh, not light either. Right. So what you do with this type of brewing, all grain, single infusion, you take all that grain, you uh, put I'm it. Sorry, in, I was really hoping you were going to say what you do with this type of beer, and I was going to just jump in and say, "Drink it." <laughs> Go <laughs> well, on. <laughs> you got to make it, and I'm going to tell you how. Mm. <laughs> um, so you take all the grain, you put it in what we call a mash. Ton, and that's T-U-N, not T-O-N. Of course it is. I don't know why. I'm sure I must have read it at some point long ago, and I don't remember. So it's... <laughs> what I use is literally... You heard it here what first. <laughs> what? You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Stop undermining me, you son of a bitch. It's so great, though. It's so much fun. I also like that... I, like. It's definitely going to come clear on the recording, but I like yes. that you can't hear it clearly, and then you have to stop and say, wait, what? Yeah, no, I can just That's... hear you're saying something uh... snarky, but I can't actually tell what you're saying usually. You can just assume it's, it's snarky. That's good. Yeah, no, I know. Well, it's the tone. It's it's, it's in the tone. Mm. The dark, ominous tone. Bong. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um... Forgetting Sarah Marshall. How many minutes in are we? <laughs> I don't know, but a couple of people who have been listening to nice. our recent episodes have been like texting me and telling me how they enjoy the dark, ominous tones <laughs> and talk. <laughs> I was like, well, we keep doing it, and we're probably definitely going to keep doing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so what I use is literally a 10-gallon cooler like you would see on like the sideline in a football game with like the spigot at the bottom to like fill water from, hmm. except you pull that spigot out and you put in like a ball valve with a, like a handle. Okay. okay. Uh, so I actually have two of those coolers. One of them only ever holds hot water. The other one is where the actual mashing takes place. That one has a false bottom that keeps the grain up above where the spout leads out of. So you put all your grain in there, and then you when you pick your temperature, which you're going to mash at, you figure out there's a certain amount of water at a certain temperature you're going to add. 
Okay, wait. I'm going to stop you right here. What's the mash? What is this mash word you keep throwing around? Oh, like literally that is the making of the beer. Like the when you add the hot water to the grain to mm. create wort, that is mashing. Got it. I don't know why they call it that. I mean, I guess you technically mash it. You dump it all together and you stir it up. Okay. <laughs> Great. It's as simple as that, actually. Uh, it's like literally making a huge thing of tea or soup stock, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Um, now I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> Made some uh, soup earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> I understand these words. <laughs> soup. What a dick. <laughs> so you take all of this grain and you mm. add what they call strike water, which is that first initial hot water you add to bring it up to the certain temperature. That sounds like a black ops one gone bad. What? Strike water? Strike water. <laughs> <laughs> so I was advised to, before I do any of this, put a bunch of hot water into these coolers and swish them around mm. so that you warm up the inside of the coolers and that doesn't suck out the temperature of the hot water you bring in because that will make you miss your number. Yep. So I remember that I had to do it, but I kind of – there was a lot of things going on. So when we were heating up the, sh- the strike water originally, I was like, oh, I have to swish this water around in before we do it. We're going to lose a few degrees. Let's just go over our initial temperature a little bit. That'll probably even out. Okay. It didn't. Uh <laughs> I was looking to mash it in at like 154 degrees, and when I mixed up my mash and everything, I ended up at like 138 degrees. Hmm. Um, and it's really hard to bring that temperature up once you've done that. Right. <laughs> so we clamped it all down. We mixed it up really good um, and promptly ran over and heated a whole bunch more water. Okay. And started dumping that in as well. Because you can't really start your time because the whole point is at a certain heat you have to act is used to extract the enzymes in the malt to actually get it to be fermentable. It's got to break up the sugar like strings into like more easily fermentable sugars. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it'll just be a bunch of starchy mess that doesn't actually break down with yeast. And starchy mess. Definitely calling you that someday soon. <laughs> nice. Yeah, keep that in your I'm notes. Write that one down. <laughs> But unlike the last time you did this, make sure you wait more than a week. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, maybe wait a month. Yeah. I'll put an extra bullet in between it. <laughs> so, we finally got our temperature up after I panicked because we were almost out of new hot water. Um, finally mixed it all up. It hit the number. I, so, I started my clock. You got to let it go for about an hour or so. I, after about 15 minutes, I went and checked just to make sure that I didn't misread it. No, number was good. I was like, okay, fine. Hopefully this won't be a disaster then. It was definitely too much water, but I don't know. I think that sort of thing just affects like the feel of like like the mouthfeel and the body and the head of the beer. It doesn't shouldn't actually affect the actual flavor or the fermentability of it. Okay. I think. <laughs> Time will tell. We'll find out in a, in a month. Um, <laughs> so then, you know, we did the whole thing. Uh, it took East Kent Golding's hops, which are an old world noble hop good for this sort of style um very traditional for this sort of style did the whole brewing hit my number right on the dot i had created a yeast starter to avoid that issue where my f- stuck fermentation happened last <laughs> time um, not although, this time 
a little bit worried because <laughs> I pitched that yeast Monday evening. I checked it yesterday afternoon, and I didn't see any activity in my airlock. But when I checked it tonight when I got home, there was very vigorous fermentation going on. <laughs> Ooh. So a good thing. <laughs> Sorry. Vigorous <laughs> fermentation. <laughs> also, yeah, you heard that correctly. Also being written down. <laughs> That's an industry term, so fuck off. Uh, it, it's, it's my show. I can do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And it's also my show, which is why I can tell you to fuck off. You can, uh, <laughs> but you can't stop me. That's the beauty of it. Well, that that is 100% great A fact. <laughs> I'll so anyway, give up the reins of the little... intro. What? I'll never give up the reins of the intro. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Or will you? Won't I? <laughs> More on that later. Duck season. <laughs> that was so pretty anyway, cool, though. You guys no. all learned how to brew I, beer today. I appreciate right? that. No, that's, that's right. awesome. Uh, I'm excited to see how it comes out. Um, I'm sure it'll be better than this garbage party oh. that I'm drinking right now. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not feeling it. Um, I have one thing that I want to talk about before we get into the movie, uh, and then a nice little... Nice little way to get into it. Uh, the first thing that I wanted to bring up was Movie Pass. Have you heard of this? I don't know. Movie Pass is a monthly subscription service. Um, oh, I did just hear about this. Yeah, because it friggin' blew up in the past few hours. <laughs> uh, so it was like, I think it was something like $45 for the membership previously. Um, they cut it down and it is $10 a month, and you can see a movie a day. Oh, is that what it was? I just heard, like, watch as many movies as you want or something. It's it's one movie a day. Okay. And you can't see the same movie twice. Okay. But it's $10 a month, so if you go to one movie, you're good. <laughs> so, so basically, if there's a theater nearby that supports it, you would need to buy this thing. Yeah, so you have to find one that participates in this program. And then when I was looking, I was trying to look into that. Uh, this is where, I, so the, all of this came up, like, I was sitting on the couch, um... Kim was watching something, I was scrolling through Twitter, and this thing popped up. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I clicked on that, went to the site. I was like, you know what, let me just download this app and see what it's all about. Download the app, try to start filling things out. It wants me to actually like create an account and put my credit card in and stuff like that before I could actually see what movie theaters are available. Really? So I was like, I'm not going to do that. So I went yeah. online to find out. And then, and then the app wasn't working great, and I was like, oh, this is garbage. And then I went on the website, and I tried to load it up, and it wasn't loading. And I was like... What in the goddamn hell? I was like, this is really slow. I was like, this is crap. The whole thing's a scam. And I, <laughs> I signed off. But I was so intrigued that I had to go back to it. So I went back, and I tried again. Same same results. So I, I Googled it. I was like, is this site down? And then found out that this announcement that it dropped to $10 had like just happened. So basically, the site is being brought down by all these people that are signing up for it. It I had a feeling, once you said it wasn't working on the app or the website, I was like, yeah. everyone probably flooded this fucking yeah. thing once that... See, I had no idea. I didn't know that was a thing before, like that it was that expensive. Right. I just heard the fact that there was a, this you, thing that you, you know that expensive. Sure, but to to be fair, um, I would totally take advantage of that, even if it was forty five dollars. Someone like me. Um, I guess I would consider it, but at ten dollars, if I can find one that's for a theater reasonably distance from me, like I I don't know why I sh- why I wouldn't do that. Right. Exactly. And. Trying to understand the concept here. So it seems like you use this app to pick up a ticket, and then they're paying full price to the theater for the ticket. It doesn't seem like there's actual 
partnership with the theaters. Like it seems like it's like a private company that is buying the ticket. I don't fully understand how it works yet, but that's that's my understanding of it. So basically, they'd be taking a loss at this point in time. And okay. I guess for the reason of if if you start to get enough traction to these movie theaters with people that are using this service, they're probably going to be spending, oh, well, I spend my $10 a month for the movie. Every time I go to the movies, maybe I'll buy popcorn or soda or some garbage like that. Um, Which is where they already make their money, money anyway. Right. And then I'm going to guess that this company will then go to those theaters and say, like, hey, like, you should give us a cut or we won't support your theater anymore. Like, I don't know what's going to happen or how this is sustainable. <laughs> yeah, it does seem... I mean, I'd have to look into it more, but that seems like an odd business model. Unless they're just, like, selling a shit ton of the data from the people that are using it. And by all means, sell my data if I'm seeing <laughs> this many movies for $10. <laughs> it's, a, it's an odd thing. I'm keeping an eye on it. I will say that uh, when I can finally get through the site, if there's a theater nearby that supports it, I will definitely be checking it out. So there'll be more more to come on this as uh, as the weeks go on. Okay. Um, now, the next thing is on our way to the movie. Um, so, at this theater, I uh, went to see Atomic Blonde. When was it? Monday night? I went to see it a couple of nights ago. And the, a lot of things that. So, the, the theater was empty at first. Great. That's fun. I, I'm okay with that. It's really just me and a couple of friends, and then that was it. And then there's two groups of people, and they were the two sets of the worst possible people that you could run into at the movie theater. Nice. It was... Were they movie spin tunes? Yeah. You know what? It was It was six... It was five or six spin tunes. That's what it was. <laughs> exactly what it was. It was like a whole... It was like a medium pie. Wow. It was like five or six slices. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> they... So we have the first... The first thing we have is the people that are in front of me to the left. And... They're... When you're loud, like before the preview start, I don't care. I'm I'm okay with that. That's fine if you're talking to each other at a normal volume. That's fine. When the previews come on and your voice doesn't drop at all, uh, I start to get concerned about where this is going to go. Um, and then, obviously, if you're talking during the movie, I hate your guts. Uh, but the, the 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 being loud during the preview, it's like it's already getting my blood pumping, right? I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting angry because I know I know where this is leading. These people are gonna suck. <laughs> They're really just gonna they're gonna suck the fun right out of this thing for me. Uh, turns out they weren't loud the entire movie. What they were were those people that laughed extremely loud at things that were not funny. So they were hot, and it wasn't. No, <clears throat> they weren't. It was the also a very strange demographic. It was like a middle aged woman, a young guy, and a really old woman. They got a silver high, man. I, they just, they weren't. <laughs> Let me just throw it out. They're not, they weren't. But they were just like, something would happen and it would be like either a serious point or something that just wasn't funny. And it wasn't, it's not something that was like, um, like, you know, it's not like it could have been funny to them and not to me. Like, it just, it wasn't funny. It wasn't a joke. It was nothing, like, there was nothing funny here. And it was just, it was just annoying. And it was almost like they just wanted to make a little bit of noise right now. Like, they couldn't hold it in. Like, they were doing so well. <laughs> but then this, these scenes would happen and they would laugh. And I can't pinpoint exactly the scene because I wasn't looking at the screen at that point. I was staring a hole through the back of their heads. Um, you know, you know how it goes. Uh, but then we had the people behind me. And they were the people that talked 
loud before the preview started, lowered their voice a little bit while the previews were on, but then continued to whisper for the first 20 minutes of the movie. And it's like, <laughs> there's, if I can hear you whispering, you're not whispering. Not in a movie theater. Not when the when the sound is that loud. If I can hear you, you're at fault. <laughs> like, there's not. There's no question here. Um, and then and then all of, then you start hearing the beers cracking behind you. And I'm like, beers? Yeah. I was like, you know what? Not for anything. I was like, if you want to have a drink and you want to sneak that in, I don't care. But whatever. No big deal. But. It's Monday. Like I don't. <laughs> like, I, I think that's probably what bothered me the most. <laughs> I was like, "What are you doing with your life? I'm here enjoying this movie. <laughs> so what are you of, doing? Was this, was this one of those theaters where you can order alcohol or not? No. So they snuck beers in. Yes. Nice, classy. And in the theater of all assigned seats, I was the first person to buy tickets. Why are you so close to me? <laughs> There's nobody else in the theater. <laughs> like I, I just don't understand. Anyway, these I don't know, man. You must have picked great seats. If they they must have been like, yeah, fuck, I wanted those seats. I'm gonna sit right behind them. It was like we were in like the third to last row, right in the middle. It's good. It's a good spot. Don't get it's me a good wrong. Spot, man. It is. It is. I, I I get that. And the people behind me, I could see that being like, okay, that's that's a decent spot too. The people that were off to my left. Go somewhere else. You know what? I probably wouldn't be as annoyed if they were right in front of me. Because that would have made sense. But they were close in a part of the theater that didn't make sense. I was angry. Al, I was I was pissed. And 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 every little thing was bothering me. Would you say that it was grinding your gears? And it was grinding my gears, I would say that. And then the preview started. And I'm I'm a fan of the of the coming attraction. I love that. I love watching these previews. I love I love being to the theater early. I like watching the twenty. Do you remember when the twenty was a thing? No. They, no, that was like they had like trivia and stuff like that. But I was there too early, so that the same trivia questions would come by more than once. They still do a lot of those things. I, it, I just yeah. didn't know it was called the twenty. So, sometimes they do. So, oh, it depends on what, what theater you're at. Sometimes they do it. Sometimes they don't. Uh, this time they did it. The sound was there. The picture wasn't. It was very very disorienting. <laughs> Being at the movie theater with picture and or with with sound and no picture is way worse than being there with picture with no sound. Hmm. Hang on. Oh, Al had an idea. Pause. Pause. No, I wanted you to actually physically I, pause. There's no pause here. Well, okay. We're, we're going to do it live. What's happening? Give us the play-by-play. Come on. Sorry, I'm having a conversation that's not involving you. Gianna? Uh, my, yes, Gianna. Is that my cousin? Sure Hello. is. Hi. You're on air. Oh. Hi. Say hello to the people, Gianna. Hello, people. Thank you. What are we talking about? Did you see Atomic Bond, Gianna? I did not see that. Good move. Right. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> I'll take that glass you broke. I broke the glass? Ooh. Well, it was on the ground and it was broken. Well, I broke the glass. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Um, so we get into the trailers, and like as I was saying, I I love watching. I like being there early because I I hate when people are like, oh, like we can be a few minutes late. We're only gonna miss the trailers. No, no, <laughs> I want to see them. <laughs> I get excited about them. Um, there were so well, many I would, though. I would generally agree with you, except now with all the movies we've been seeing, I keep seeing basically ninety percent the same trailers over and over again. So now I don't care anymore. 
I felt the same way, um, except this movie, I think I only saw two or th- maybe two, maybe three trailers that I had previously seen, so I was cool with that. Uh, the one being that, the one with uh, Michael Fassbender and the snowman killing people, that, <laughs> I saw that one again. <laughs> I saw, um, I think I think they saw a Star Wars one again, I don't remember. But I saw uh, uh, Ready Player One, which excites me, I don't care, so I was happy to see that one again. Um this Professor Martin and the Wonder Woman. Did you see that trailer? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with this one. So this is interesting. This one's about um, like the creator of Wonder Woman and the the three way relationship of the writer, his wife, and their mistress. Yeah, I see. <laughs> like their mutual mistress, and it yeah, seems it seems interesting. Um, but at the same time, I'm like. It, it, it's a. Uh, it, it could go one way or the other. It's like, is this just riding on the coattails of Wonder Woman? Yes. <laughs> it, I mean, it is. But at the same time, it's the only way that I feel like this movie would work because I feel like people wouldn't be interested in it if Wonder Woman hadn't come out. Um, never underestimate people's ability to get excited about a three-way relationship. That's true. It's <laughs> fair. Now, I would definitely agree with you that it gets a bump from being right after Wonder Woman. Hmm. And then, yeah, anyway, it looks interesting. I mean, I'll probably see it. I don't know that I'm running to the theaters for this one. I'll probably catch it when it comes out. Um, I like a good, like, semi-true story. Like, who knows how accurate these things really are sometimes. Yeah. You know how it is. Um, and then there was the trailer for The Darkest Hour. Did you see this trailer yet? The Darkest Hour. The Churchill no. flick? Oh, yes. So, watching this trailer, I'm like, wait, I know that face. <laughs> I'm like, who's playing him? Who is that? And then the name Gary Oldman comes on the screen, and I was like, good God, they did a good job on his face. Yeah, he looks fucking terrible. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well done. That looks interesting, though. I'll, I'll check that out. Only be... Um, because, you know, Churchill, interesting. Gary Oldman, fantastic. Love Gary Oldman. <laughs> See, it's funny how that movie gets made because it's right on the tails of Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the same way about it, though. Not the same, but it's in the same neighborhood. Right. Yeah. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, strike well, me the same way you as You know the what, it's more of, it reminds me more of like a... Like an Armageddon, Armageddon Deep Impact type of thing. Okay. Where it's like, why are those two movies being made by two separate studios at the exact same time? Yeah, I could see that. Especially when like the they do the speech in the in the trailer and it's like... It's yeah, the speech from Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Yeah. Like featured heavily in the trailer. Yeah, yeah That's interesting. But uh, yeah, I, I can see... I can get behind that. I can get behind the Deep Impact Armageddon of it. Not the, yeah. the the Wonder Woman one is, is straight up like it, it's the opposite of when the B movie comes out right beforehand and gets released right like to DVD or something. Oh it's yeah, just, yeah, it's just like, wait a minute, they made a shit ton of money off this, <laughs> or they're going <laughs> to make a shit ton of money off this. We need because obviously this didn't like they didn't just throw this flick together after Wonder Woman did well, like it was in production. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's interesting nonetheless. Anyway, there was a there was a ton of trailers. I'm pretty sure like. It was one of the longest times I sat watching trailers, and I think it was the fact that there were so many, and not that I was in hell with these people Wait, behind me and next to me. 
neither here nor there. Then this movie starts, Atomic Blonde. And I want to get your take on this movie. Right off the bat, how do no, you feel? Bad, stop. No. <laughs> no, you forgot I had one more topic. I oh, I thought talk. you did both of them. No, it was just, the first one was Al's Ales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have another one, which might take us a couple minutes, or maybe it won't. Okay, that's fine. Let's get into it. I just saw this today, but apparently this story's been going on for a couple days. Um, did you hear that Robert Kirkman is suing AMC? What? No, <laughs> I did not. Kind of a big deal. Ooh. Both of us are... I'm going to have to okay, write a second part to my <laughs> to my story from the other week. Well, both of us are avowed AMC fans, or and, you know, Walkhead fans, and... I'm guessing there are definitely members of our audience that are as well. It's like the most popular show on TV. Um, so you're familiar with Frank Darabont suing them a few years ago, right? Uh, the name sounds familiar. I don't know what the... Frank Darabont is the guy who actually brought it to screen. Like he oh, was the one, okay. Yeah. He was the actual showrunner, like mm-hmm. directed it, wrote it. Um, obviously, Robert Kirkman and a bunch of other people were involved in the production, but... Frank Darabont's the guy who actually brought it to screen. He's, right. you know, he's he's a famous director. Shawshank, Green Mile, stuff like that. The good season of Walking Dead. The first, yeah, the first two seasons. <laughs> um, his and you know, and the reason that Dale got killed off was because Frank Darabont got the boot. Okay. Because Dale is in Frank every Frank Darabont movie ever. Really. Well, he was in Shawshank, and he was in The Green Mile, and he's been in a couple other things, too. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. That's cool. The Mist. That was another one. Oh. Um, anyway, so not only, though, is Robert... So, yeah, anyway, he su- Frank Darabont sued them a couple years ago because he claimed they wrongfully terminated him for booting him off the show, as well as they said he said that he was paid, like, $300 million less than he was owed. Jesus. Yeah, it's, like, not, like... If, they, if he said $3 million, that's one of those, like, you know, someone's... Pinching pennies here, or someone's being petty. Right. Uh, Three hundred million is a lot of money. Right. <laughs> um, so Robert Kirkman, Gail Ann Hurd, Glenn Mazzara, and David Alpert—some of those names should sound familiar mm-hmm. to you—are all suing AMC for not being paid enough. Interesting. They all have like, they all have like revenue sharing thing, okay. like agreements, and and they're like withholding. All of them are claiming that AMC is artificially over-reporting production costs and under-reporting ad revenue to artificially deflate the profits that hit the balance sheet. Holy shit. So, I mean, I wouldn't because, put it past them, but that'd be crazy. <laughs> because each of these people has an agreement tied to the profit that's derived from the show. Sure. By having artificially deflated profits, they're not getting paid what they quote-unquote deserve. Huh. It's a pretty serious fucking allegation. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, Frank Darabont suing them, not crazy because it was after he got fired. Robert Kirkman is the creator of the series right. and one of the executive producers. Gail Ann Hurd is... Is she the showrunner now? Uh, They've changed showrunners 18 uh, times. Yeah, She's been a producer I, since, like, day one. Right. Glenn Mazzara, I know as well, is one of the important pro, uh, producers. I don't I don't actually know David Alpert. That name sounds familiar, too. But um, they're all still involved in the show. Yeah. I mean, So that's heavily. a pretty big fucking deal. Yeah, that's... That's 
very interesting. Oh, I want to scandalous. <laughs> I want to see yeah, where this no, goes. it really is, and I don't know how this isn't like plastered wall to wall on the internet and TV because like it's the biggest show on television. Right. I'm actually I'm very surprised that the first time I'm hearing about this is from you here. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I and I, I, I completely accidentally stumbled on this story and then looked into it and I was like, this needs to make it on the episode tonight. Like I just saw right. it this afternoon. As you said it, I typed Rob into Google, and it's like, Ert Kirkman lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. Like, Jesus. Because, they're, I mean, they're all suing for millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. The, the, the thing at the top says that all four of them suing, the potential damages could reach $1 billion if they prove it's correct. Wow. I mean... It, it's probably, I mean, it could very much be a thing. I mean, because they, they make a shit ton of money, that show. Here you go. I'm just, like, skimming it to look for, like, kind of important snippets here. And yeah. it says, Kirkman, whose deal entitles him to 5% of profits from the show, came to what his attorneys say was a related party provision that guaranteed that AMC's transactions with affiliated companies would be on monetary terms comparable to transactions with non-affiliated companies. Alpert, who got 2.5% of profits, Heard, who got 7.5%, and Mazzara, who took over Darabont's role as the showrunner. That's why I remember his name, because he's yeah. the now show, or he was for a couple seasons and got 1.5%. Each site provisions in their own deals, including most favored nations clauses that allegedly amounted to protection from AMC self dealing. Huh. This, this is dumb ways you can do to piss off your producers. Yeah. And, you know, creator of the property. Well, I think he probably has some sort of poison pill clause that would allow him to pull the show. Right. You, or got, you least, gotta wonder. Yeah, or at the very least, would trigger some sort of massive buyout of him. Right. So he's getting paid either way. <laughs> That'd be great if he's like, they like resolve this, right? And he's, you know, he plays cool for like however many more seasons they go on. And like right before the end, he pulls the plug. <laughs> you guys <laughs> that'd be so badass <laughs> i wouldn't even be upset <laughs> yeah cheers <laughs> so, yeah so anyway i mean i figured the fact that this story has slipped under the radar like the first like run of these these articles is all dated uh august 14th that's two days ago yeah so the fact that it's flown this far under the radar i, I figured people would be interested to hear about this. yeah <laughs> I, i'm gonna have to I, i'm definitely uh following up on this i'm gonna keep this keep an eye out because that's that's really interesting um because i love i love the property i want to see i want to know this and i want to know about the scandal behind it (laughs) you know i've been catching up i hadn't watched a single thing while it was airing this uh half season of uh fear the walking dead that just aired Mm. actually really good really by far the best half season of the show okay i'm still not I, i don't think i can go back to it I mean, that's fair. Uh, the, the last half season I liked, which was the end half of season two, the first half of season two was not very good. Okay. Uh, but the second half of season two was pretty good, and this is quite good. I, I've actually been really enjoying I it, it. I think it might have been the first half of season two where I was like, yeah, all right, that's enough of that. I think that sounds right, and that's definitely the low point of the show. Yeah. Upsetting. Anyway, I wasted, I wasted time on that. 
Uh, oh yeah, Atomic Blonde, that movie that we saw. Um, you know, that's good. We had a lot, we had a decent amount of stuff to talk about before we got to this because I don't think we're gonna have a ton to talk about with this movie. Um, well, this has been uh, flicks and a six. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Thanks for t- uh- <laughs> here's here's my thing. Uh, the, the, my my review of this movie is shrug emoticon. Like, eh, whatever. Uh, see, I I liked it. I I ate it right up. Yeah, really. Ooh, I'm I've been basically laying the breadcrumbs to this for quite some time now. I told you how much of a sucker I am for Ludlum stories, mm-hmm. and this is almost pulled right off the script of an amalgamation of his greatest hits. Yeah, okay. Keep keep going. I just fucking love these Cold War thrillers with everyone backstabbing and murdering each other. This is what I was raised on, like, man. Like, I started reading Ludlum way too young. I read The Born Identity when I was, like, 11. <laughs> that explains a lot. Uh. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> like, I, I, I was in fifth or sixth grade when I read the first time. Mm-hmm. I read it more than once, actually. Um, and I've read, like, eight of his books. Yeah, I see... I could see... Uh, I understand what you're saying, and I understand the aspects of the movie that you're that you're probably drawn to. But for me, it just it did not hit. Um, it's funny, like I, I didn't I didn't think this way going through. I, I, going going to see it, I assumed like the first time I saw the trailer for this movie, I was like, this is gonna be like a silly. They're gonna do like all the. What can we do to make it rated R? What can we do to make it an action movie? What can we do? Like that's that's how I thought of it the first time I saw the trailer. Then I um from seeing some behind the scenes stuff and interesting interviews and things like that, I was like, oh, this actually seems pretty cool. Uh, I want to see this, and then I saw it, and the fir- within the first five minutes, there's like a, there's running, a car incident, someone getting shot in the head, boobs, and oh my god, I'm such a badass, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I was like, uh oh, <laughs> this is what I was afraid of originally. <laughs> see, it's funny because my most of my issues with the movie are in about the first fifteen twenty minutes. Okay, uh, and I don't want you to like, it's not a technical marvel like this movie isn't perfect by any means but it did a lot of things that i like in the movie so i was entertained all the way through don't get me wrong i actually i do agree with that i think there's there's definitely great pieces in the movie but overall it doesn't work for me see it did for me because the story worked for me because it's what like i said i was basically raised on um and i know reading some other people's reviews online a lot of people got lost in what was going on in the story, but because I'm so involved in that sort of thing, I followed along beat for beat because I'm just so used to it. I was able to pick out a bunch of things that were going to end up happening mm-hmm. um, because it fit the archetype of that story. Right. Well, it, but you didn't find that predictable? Some of it, yes. Yeah. But that doesn't bother you at all. It, it didn't because of the way it was executed. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. When we get into spoilers, I'd like to hear more about your. I'd like you to go through the whole thing front to back for me. Well, I'll I'll say one thing. So maybe a, a, a better way to phrase it is. It's not like I read every twist or turn that was coming, mm-hmm. but. I've been raised to expect the unexpected in this type of story. Right. So the shocks weren't as shocking to me as they could have been. But 
that's not actually a down point for me because they executed it properly. You know what I mean? It was like if you, okay. it's like if you are a big fan of a band, right? And you listen to their music and then you go see them and play it live. Where when they get to the guitar solo, you cut, you expect a certain level of quality and you already know what's coming, but hearing them actually do it mm-hmm. is a thrill. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get that. I didn't feel that way about this movie, but I get that. But we come from a... Uh, we come at this from different angles. You don't have that same. Not that you couldn't appreciate it, but you didn't. You didn't grow up reading all those things or watching those style of movies like I did. Yeah, I, I guess for me, when I see, I, I mean, I do like I like thrillers like that, and I like that. I like twists and turns. What really, really does it for me is when I don't figure out like what's happening, or I don't like you really like. You really pull a fast one. Um, I love that, and I don't. I am look. I usually am looking too far into things for that to be the case. Um, so maybe shame on me. But when when they do when I'm doing that and it still happens, I, I get very excited and I'm very proud of your movie. <laughs> like when you can shock me like that. It's pretty rare for big twists to hit me with movies now. Yeah, i just that's just the stage I'm at. I've seen so many movies and read so many things. It's just like I know what's coming. 95 percent of the time yeah so for me it's about the execution because i know it's coming it's did you pull it off right or were you sloppy you know what i mean right because i'm so rarely surprised like you said when you do get surprised it's like wow good on you yeah um but like it's since i i just go in expecting them not being able to do it and usually i'm right so it's did you do it the right way and it's just I figured it out, and I, I I can I can get behind that. I just didn't enjoy the ride. Oh, that's fair. I mean that that's not something that you can, you know, distill down, right? Like sure. either you do or you don't. There, I will say, there's parts of the movie though that I really really did like. Like there's little little bits of it. Um, and I'm gonna get right into one of them right here. The 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 first off, the the choreography is is really well done in a different way. It's not over the top well done like it's not like crazy fighting like like oh, like just just nonsense super fast what actually really what i loved about the choreography is when it slowed down because the people fighting each other were so exhausted yeah like that was like it's, oh like that's a that different, scene that's a different take yeah and i was like this is okay cool like yeah i can get, I can get behind that that was that was really fun to me i thought that was really well done and i don't i don't remember a time where i've seen it done like that yeah, um, yes and no. The one place that I can think of seeing it is the the ultimate parallel this movie is always going to get brought to, and that's John Wick. Mm-hmm. And that's because uh, David Leitch, Leitch, I don't know how to pronounce his name, um, was also involved in the John Wick movies. Okay. Or at least the first one. Um, he co-directed that movie. Yeah, but that's not, that. that's a complete opposite to me like the choreography of that is so fast-paced and constant and over the top yeah but it's a different actor and actress the point is you see the toll rise on the actor as the movie goes on sure john wick is not the same crisp fighter he is in the beginning of the movie is he at the end you know what i mean right but that and that's just like a that's just a touch though in this movie it's like the person by the from the beginning of the fight to the end of the fight is completely worn down to the point where 
like falling and dragging themselves across the floor like that I, that was really cool oh yeah it was incredibly visceral i mean um i've been seeing some jokes on the internet about the hot plate and never seeing hot plates the same way again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess we should considering we're, we're talking fight scenes right now like let's just do the spoiler oh yeah screw it <laughs> because like we're dancing around some cool specific stuff like yeah. let's just do it all right, spoiler. The spoiler veil has been it's it's, it's gone. We're we're, we're here. We're at, it's yeah. Happening. So that scene that is the whole the staircase fight and the whole that whole fight in the building, like the shit with the the hot plate. That one dude who she went toe to toe with nonstop and like just fucking disassembled him. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, that was intense. And then and then he totally like he diehards it and comes back at the end. I was like, good. God, he's on the windshield. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but like, it's so, it's so, ca- he is so casually murdered after that scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's, that's how I felt about that. <laughs> and, and also, that, the way that that whole thing was shot was really cool, right? Um, they do it as all one long continuous shot in the staircase and everything. Yeah. That was, oh, that was, that, that, that was like probably one of my favorite parts of the, of the movie um was that action sequence and it was just just because it was just the core like i said the choreography was just really well done there and uh, oh yeah it was a, it was it a was spectacle and you get to see all the ingenuity of the actors well or you know of the characters as they're grabbing different weapons and trying to kill each other and all that sort of shit you know what i mean yeah and then you see like that one guy that's that's basically like well he does he ends up dying but he's you know like he's he's like gotten his death sentence already so he's like fighting with everything he's got and it's like pure rage like he wants to kill her for killing him <laughs> and then yeah. he just dies and falls down the stairs and i was like oh thank god we can take a breath <laughs> i was like this, this guy just keeps movie. coming he's like, like got a zombie <laughs> similar to us talking about dunkirk uh, in the previous episode where you're left out of breath a few times mm-hmm. and also i mean like when you're talking about that guy who's like basically knows he's dead and doing that. Right. Like, the same thing with the Eddie Marsan character, Spyglass. Mm-hmm. He gets shot in the gut at the beginning of that scene, right? Yeah. And um, he's trying to, like, duct tape himself up, and he's in the corner. She's fighting and trying not to die, and she's trying to help him. And then he realizes, oh, shit, I'm fucked if she doesn't get right. <laughs> up off the, 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 the mat here. And he throws himself at that guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cracks him upside the head. Yeah, those it's it's intense, and then that all all of that to see them get hit by the car and him drown, and I was like, ah, oh, damn it, <laughs> you don't make it. <laughs> see, that's one of those things where it's like that one almost got me, but that guy clearly was gonna be important with the way he popped up at the beginning of the scene. But all the fuckery that went on, it's easy to understand how you might forget he was coming back. Oh yeah, that one that one didn't surprise me when especially the way that the scene right before it was shot, like they they cross this intersection of nonsense and the other guy gets slammed. I was like, this can just as easily happen to. You know what? It's going to bang. <laughs> and then they get thrown I, into the water. <laughs> actually, I know we're uh doing a little bit of a uh, spoiler here, you know, something that's coming up for us in the future, but you so you ended up watching Scott Pilgrim, right? We'll yeah. we'll just reveal it now. We're gonna do an episode on Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in the future, mm-hmm. probably next week. Um, the, when that when that guy rammed them off the road, my exact thought was, "Hey, that one guy." Yeah. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> and he takes his neck brace off. I'm like, okay, we get it. You did a thing. Shut up. <laughs> that could have easily just been an autopiloted car. And like, your character is useless. <laughs> I, was, I was so annoyed. But um, yeah, I do that. But even going back to like the opening scene when that KGB or Stasi agent rammed the shit out of uh, Gascoigne in the, like, the opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Like there were some brutal car deaths in this. Yeah, that I was like, "Ow, ow, that <laughs> <Do it> again! <laughs> Don't back up and run him!" Ah, <laughs> <laughs> and then he shot in the face. Um, that big guy, though, not a lot of screen time after that. Um, I mean, would he get one more scene? I two think more so. Scenes? I think yeah, yeah, two more scenes. One where he shows up again. Another one where he dies. <laughs> yeah, there was a scene where he goes. To the watch dealer, which, by the way, I kind of love Stiglitz. the watch. What's up? Hugo Stiglitz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of like that the, the the watch thing. It was kind of yeah. actually kind of a, to draw another parallel to, to John, John Wick. Wick. Yeah, I agree with that. of him going in to see the sommelier. Mm-hmm. There was like a cool little bit of world building, but then it just kind of that was it. For like it, it just disappeared after that. Well, they did it what two or three times. It, it was just that one thing, though. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that, one of the things that we've mentioned with John Wick that I love so much is like all of the different pieces of the world that they've that they've created in the story. This was just one really cool little thing, and then that was it. Yeah, I guess that's true. Also, not nearly enough Hugo Stiglitz. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> He's great. All I can think about is him in uh, Inglorious Bastards. He's fantastic. I've actually never seen that. <gasps> Well, we're doing that movie at some point. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh, I love that movie. <laughs> All right. It's on the list. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Anyway, moving on. Um, oh, God, I lost my notes. Al. Al. <laughs> okay, one thing that really pissed me off, and I know it did to you, too, because you mentioned it before I had seen the movie. And I was like, oh, how bad is this going to be? The spray paint? Just... Stop. <laughs> Stop spray painting things on the screen. It doesn't yeah, make that, any sense. It is that unnecessary. One, that one was like when I was watching it, I was like, seriously? Yeah. And then like they kept doing it. And I was like, you're going to need to stop. Otherwise, you're just going to piss me off. And I'm not yeah. going to try and embrace the rest of this experience. Like, well, Yeah, and they did it for what? They did it like the first like maybe 30 minutes of the movie. And then it stops. And then I was like, okay, good. And then like right towards the end it comes back i'm like son of a bitch <laughs> well the thing is it got to the point where it was like considering it was another break in time and change in location yeah, you knew I, they were I gonna know why do it. they did it what i know why they did it i just don't like it <laughs> yeah well the point was i think they were gonna do it the whole fucking movie and that was yeah. gonna drive me insane so <laughs> i was like they better knock it off and they finally did <laughs> what i just went <laughs> just the spray paints out just stop just uh, that's what i said like what like this movie was kind of like Baby Driver meets Suicide Squad meets Guardians of the Galaxy meets John Wick. Mm-hmm. Because this whole thing with like the soundtrack was really intense, like like really like intrinsic to the experience. Sure. There's a lot of stylized stuff like like that stupid fucking spray paint. Like that was like purely out of Suicide Squad and they could have they could have just fucked right the hell off with that. Yeah. Um and I like the soundtrack. Mostly, a couple times, it kind of got close to being too much. It didn't 
fit as seamlessly as like a Guardians or a Baby Driver oh, absolutely did? Absolutely not. So the 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 soundtrack itself is great. The music choices are fantastic. The problem is the use of those songs and the way that they you tried to utilize the music the way that those other movies did, and they they did a like one particular thing. Um, and you'll probably, this is probably one that bothered you too. They did the thing where like the fight would start and the music would get really loud to drown out the sound of the violence that's happening in the background. And it would, it was the first time it happens. It's really cool and fun. And it happens again. And it happens again. And then it happens again. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we get it. You did this one. <laughs> let's, and, let's move on like, to a different shtick. <laughs> some of them I thought did fit pretty well. Some of them less so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember what song it was that, but when she's in the apartment and she turns the stereo on, yeah, that I actually liked. That, that worked that was for me. A little bit of breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. That was the uh, that was the one that worked. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely I think in the wind column. Um, it was cheesy as fuck, but it did fit at the very end when they played London Calling. Mm-hmm. The other the other one that did it for me was uh, just. It, not just like not a way that they utilized the music, just the track. Uh, there was a Depeche Mode song that popped on, and I was like, "I love this. I really like the music choice in this movie. That, this is really great." That was the that's the one from the trailer, right? Uh, I don't remember who was in the trailer. Or did I get that wrong? What song is it? I'm looking it up right now. There might have been more than one, but there's one particular scene. It's like two thirds of the way through the movie. Um, it's not that serious. It's like. You know when they run, they run to get through the door. Like they were, they got off the train and they're running through the door, and like the guy with the dog yeah. is coming after them. The song starts. I'm pretty sure, like right then. I can't remember what it was. It's not. It's not used in any other way. It's not used with like as like an effect throughout an action sequence or anything. It's just a good back sound, a background song that's playing during it. And I like Depeche Mode, so hearing that, I was just like, oh, this is fun, right? This is we're we're just doing '80s music, and this is great. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Yeah, per- Personal Jesus was in the trailer. Is that mm-hmm. the song you're talking about? Um, was that the one that was playing? I feel like it was something else. Was there another one that's on the list? Um, well, honestly, the only two Depeche Mode songs that I know are Enjoy the Silence and Personal Jesus. I'm gonna look. And I don't think Enjoy the Silence was in the song. That was in the movie. That was in... Uh, personal, your own, yeah. That was in the trailer to um, Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> <laughs> I just... Sorry, I'm scrolling. It's complete sidetrack here. I'm scrolling through the IMDb page. I got down to plot keywords: Cold War, spy, topless female nudity, <laughs> KGB agent, based on a graphic novel. <laughs> that third one. Stop. Just stop. Topless, topless nudity. Oh my god, it's so silly. Stupid. Um, but yeah, just the, the music throughout the movie is, is a lot of fun to listen to. Um, James McAvoy. I oh, like yeah. him, man. He's a good actor. He sure is. He's, he's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> she was great in the movie too. Um, Charlize. Oh yeah. Definitely. Like the two, uh, she, I, she, I, I, sorry. She would have to be because this is very much her movie. Yeah. I, the two of them are great. I, I mean, not to steal thunder from the lead, but I just I love I I always liked James McAvoy and then like his role like he's just he's a crazy person in this movie and it's great. Well, <laughs> yeah, the first they just time let him you cut see him on screen, and, they let him cut loose and be this like over the top caricature. Mm-hmm. That uh, it, it's that scene. It's in the trailers. It's all, uh, uh, 
so you probably if you haven't seen the movie you've seen this at least probably but the he's like let me help you with your bags and he just opens the uh the trunk and the bags fall out i just that that little bit of humor right there got me i was just cracking up and i had seen it a million times in the trailer but for whatever reason it it strikes a chord i just find that so funny Oh, this is a dark, serious, heavy movie for most of its run, but there were some funny things that happened. Yeah. I do remember chuckling a few times. Not the times that the people in front of me in the theater were chuckling ass clowns. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a couple laughs here and there. Um, when she calls uh, John Goodman a cocksucker. That was pretty funny. That, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, that got a chuckle. I also, I love him. Yeah, he was good in this role. Um, and I thought they were just going to have him be the stuffy guy in the office, but getting to see the two of them together in Berlin, I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was cool. The um, what's his face? The guy that was behind the glass. See. Uh, yeah. It's a typical. Yeah. That's a typical name for guy who runs I was uh, MI6 I was trying to think of his name in Game of Thrones Randall um, <laughs> what Randall Tarly I was gonna say well spoiler alert for Game of Thrones <laughs> here guys but he's the dude who just got set on fire yeah, this week he got set ablaze as it were <laughs> it wasn't even a fire he just evaporated <laughs> was I guess it's perfect I guess it's perfect that that Tyrion tried to send him to the wall because his watch most certainly just ended yeah Burned. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not literally and metaphorically. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but uh, James McAvoy being crazy, running around, spying on people, bugging people. I liked him with his shaved hair and his his really diabolical laugh that makes you very uncomfortable every time he oh, cracks yeah. himself way, up. Way too much. <laughs> it was a little much. <laughs> um. But yeah, overall, I just the the movie just doesn't. I, I like I like these little parts of it, but the like I said, the whole the thing as a whole just didn't really work for me. Um, and I want to hear from you, like go like going through it. We're in total spoiler territory. Like going through like the twists and turns of the movie. What draws you to the movie? So let before I do that, let me ask you: Did you get? The story. I believe I got the story. <laughs> well, because what I was seeing online is a lot of people didn't get it, especially the final scenes. The uh, uh, Return of the King endings? Yes and no. <laughs> it wasn't quite Return of the King. No, but no it, I, it, you're right. It wasn't because like each one changes it. Um, I will say as... As much as I didn't care, there's one. There is a scene that I loved. Um, it is on when they get back when she gets on the plane at the at the very end, and he he, John Goodman flips the watch and puts it in his pocket. I was like, that's cool, man. <laughs> that's, that's a cool scene. <laughs> so, did you get what that whole thing was about? Not the watch, but just what happened in the last ten minutes of the movie. Like clearing up the list, kind of thing. Yeah. Or. Yeah what her specific job and who she was actually reporting for do you know what that did you get that she was reporting to the u.s to clear up the list is that's how i understood it okay um 
So not only was she reporting to the, the U.S., she was a CIA agent the whole time. Right. But for most of the movie, you think she's an MI6 agent, especially considering she seems to be directly reporting to C. Okay, I, I got a different vibe from the first scene in the in the interrogation, in, not interrogation, the debrief room with John Goodman. I, I, there was a connection between the two characters that I felt there. Yes, but even before that is her talking to C and the other guy. Yeah, um, um, that little weasel. Little Eric, Eric Gray, the Toby Jones. I'm your superior. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah. He kind of always plays that character. Yep, he's good at it. Yeah. Basically the same character kind of that he played in Captain America slash the Avengers and everything else he's ever been in. <laughs> um, so this is one of the things why I said like it got me being like a fan of Love Them and everything. So you think that she's just this super spy for most of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you're an astute watcher, you'll start to question whether or not she is actually a double agent. Right? Right. Um, what was the name of the... I can't remember. What was the name of the person that they kept using the call sign for that no one knew who it was who was on the list? Satchel. Satchel, that's right. Yeah. So it turns out that she's Satchel, right? hmm And she frames James McAvoy for being Satchel because most of the movie, they kind of made it hinted that it was him. Right. Especially the way he seems so determined to get the list it's clear that, or it seems clear that it's because he doesn't want anyone to find out that it's him. Yeah, his, like, his clear ulterior motives, the entire, like, the fact that he's doing something else the entire movie makes you like, okay, this is the guy. I get that. Okay. So, the the word, the term I'll use here, um, for those of you who aren't super heavy into the Ludlow-esque Cold War thriller is, what she was is an Asian provocateur. And so the idea behind that concept is that she's someone who's sent to shake things up. Her job isn't necessarily to do any one thing other than to shake things up so much that the people who are involved in whatever clusterfuck's going on, mm-hmm. they will ultimately fuck up and she's just going to wipe them all clean. Right. That she it was it doesn't matter whether she was working for the U.S. or the British or the Russians, although it was very important that she was working for the Americans. Um, but the the kind of the whole point behind it is that her job wasn't to get the list per se. Her job wasn't to avenge Gascoigne's death per se. And the whole time she was doing this, the British thought she was working for them. So. That's how good of an agent she is, that they had no idea she was actually working for the CIA. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because so technically that does kind of make her almost like a double agent, except she's not betraying the oh, West right. to communists. Uh, it's kind of more like friendly fire. But her goals served the British and what they wanted out of that whole situation. But the idea was at the end, it looks like she was actually double agent in the Russians were the ones running her and it turns that she was the one doing it the whole time and you realize just how many threads she's been pulling this whole time mm-hmm. um and i think that may have confused a lot of people who were watching it because that was what i was reading online 
Okay. Because a lot of people didn't get that. Like, they got that she killed the Russian guy and she wasn't actually double agent, but they didn't get what that all meant. Right. So basically, in this sort of situation, what would be done is it's such a colossal mess that's going on that you send instead of sending in someone with a mop to clean it up, you send someone in with the, the flamethrower. Yeah, burn it just to burn it. <laughs> I like that. Um, and, and that's what an agent provocateur does. Okay, and that's cool. And I so I I got that. It's just it didn't for whatever reason it just didn't really. I just didn't find it very interesting, and I don't know if it was the way that it was done or or what. It just didn't grab me. That it could be it. It could be that the execution didn't work for you. It could just be that for people who aren't super into that sort of story, that that level of hoops that people are jumping through doesn't connect with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like the fact that you understood it and it didn't work for you is just. A matter of taste, right? Sure. Um, which is, to your credit, like, you got it, you followed it, like, you weren't confused by it, it just didn't work for you, and there's right. nothing that can be done for that, right? Uh, I will uh, say that there's one thing I am, I'm not, I don't fully get, and that is, James, I don't fully get James McAvoy's character. So... And, and what he's actually doing. I didn't follow that, to be honest with you. So James McAvoy is Peter Baelish. How so? He's someone I know he's, who's, he's playing. He's playing multiple people. I guess he's playing that. both sides against each other. Yeah, but what's his end game? His end game is that he's alive and he has power and he has money. Uh, but one step further than than a step uh, than a character like Baelish is. He's just an adrenaline junkie. He's just like he wants to stay in this life that he's currently in, right? Yes. Okay. Okay, because I got that from like the, like the fucking Berlin line or whatever it is that he says. Like I got that he I was love like, he, yeah, like he's like he lo- like that he's so into it. I get that. I just is that all there is to it? He's just, an, just he's just an agent of chaos. He's just this is his life, and I, he probably wasn't that when he started. That's Most what, of those characters that, that intrigues me. If he wasn't like that, and like he became that way from being there for so long, because it was yeah, like ten years these- that he was there, right? And there's been a bunch of yeah, there's been a bunch of characters like this in these Cold War movies who mm. just their the game is it becomes its own game, right? That you no longer play a game to win or to accomplish one thing. You play the game for the game's sake, right? Because that's your one true motivation in life. That's your one true thrill. Hmm. Interesting. And he was a rock star, right? He's got these. Fucking yeah. huge parties he's doing. He takes home a different beautiful woman or women every night. He gets drunk. You know, everyone comes yeah. to him for all this sort of stuff. He has all this clout. He's his own little... He's like a fucking, like, warlord in the middle of these war-torn streets. Like, he's just... That's what he is. Yeah. Why did he kill Delphine? Because she knew that that was what his game was. She knew... That she had the picture... Around. What? That he's just, like living this way now yeah she she had evidence that proved that wasn't playing a long con against the russians that he was willing to collaborate with the russians if it served his own ends Mm -hmm. the fact that he wasn't truly a british agent anymore he was an agent for himself um and his game doesn't work if people thinks that he's not doing his job right so for lorraine's character then 
um, is the relationship with her and was it Gascoigne? Gascoigne. 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 Um, is that real? Um, I'm inclined to say yes. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I was but, gonna say if you said otherwise, I'd be concerned. Yeah, I'm inclined to say yes, although I understand why you'd ask the question. Right. Because we see just how cynical and just how much she's just doing her job through all of it, but it seemed very personal. And actually, she said something at the end when she kills the Russian guy, didn't she? I think she. Maybe does. I misremembered that. She might. Uh, I. Yeah, but like the the relationship there, like they they touched on it a few times, and the the parts that make it real are the fact, or when they touch on it when nobody's watching. That's how like, yes. I feel like that's how you can find points of truth in something like in a in a movie or story like this. If the character's on their own doing something, those things are generally genuine. Yes, um, it's the things that they do when they don't have to put on the facade. Right. So, like when she the the scene in the beginning when she's taking her ice bath and like she's like torn up and then like there's a there's a recall to his character and then the scene where she finds the picture of his character and James McAvoy's character uh Percival um like she's alone in those scenes and like she like there's like I whatever the emotion is like rage sadness some there's there's a connection between her and this guy uh and then there's I don't really get right. So she she did get some sort of attachment to Delphine then. Yeah, I think that was real too, for whatever it was. Like I, I think it was kind of one of those um, any port in a storm type of things. But I think that she did genuinely care about it. Not that it was going to be like they were going to go right off in the sunset together. You know what I mean? Right. But she didn't want to see her die. Like yeah, I well because I think okay. probably she, it was one of those cases where she's been doing this for so long and, and Delphine's just started off, she probably sees a bit of herself in her. Right. And I think she probably not reminded of that innocence per se, because I doubt there's anyone who's really innocent in that line of work. But just that like kind of fresh eyed vigor, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting. Um but yeah, so those those relationships are are interesting throughout the movie, but the uh, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't. It just didn't grab me. I guess this is just one that I just don't. It just didn't land for me. Yeah, I mean, it's not a perfect movie, but I enjoyed it well enough. It's something that if it, if I see it on HBO or something, I'll throw it on background, like whenever it comes out onto TV. You know what I mean? I think I would throw it on the background just to hear the music. <laughs> <laughs> I really did enjoy that music. And the fight scenes were exhilarating. And I, I, I mean, for me, the story was interesting. It worked because it, it, I guess part of it's probably even like just like a nostalgia thing, just because I'm so was connected to those sorts of stories. Right. Um, but I could see how it wouldn't land for other people. Like I guess I get it. Yeah. Cool. What other topics do you have for this this film? Um. Well, I was um, I was wondering um, whether part of the reason that you're kind of a, it seemed like your immersion didn't work so much. Um, did you have an issue with the way that the movie delivered the story, kind of splitting the narrative between real time stuff and her reporting back to them? No, I love that. Okay, I will say I will say for sure that part of my issue 
was with the audience of the film. <laughs> so there, it could it could have also been that the beginning of the movie, I was in a sour mood from not being able to hear everything and missing portions of it because of these garbage people that were in the theater with me. <laughs> Wait, you have an issue with the people who haul away your trash? <laughs> no. God bless those guys. <laughs> no, letting the trash man for many years. <laughs> no, not garbage men. Garbage people. <laughs> <laughs> people living in the yeah. trash. <laughs> no, I liked it. I thought it was an effective way to give you that physical pause. And I think because this is another one. That's why this is why I kind of some of the reasons I brought up some of these points is. I saw some of the critiques, and actually most of the reviews I saw of this movie were overall like a net positive. Not that I saw anyone say they so loved this movie or whatever, but everyone, everything I saw was like good to, you know, quite good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, some of the complaints I saw were stuff about the plot being too convoluted or not understanding the ending or some people thought that it was breaking the story breaking the immersion with them going back to those scenes with the two people, two agents debriefing her. Yeah. I I liked, I liked that part, that portion of it. Yeah. I thought that was a, that wasn't people. I didn't think that was the, the people making the film missing the point. I actually thought that was a conscious choice to make sure to cause that break so that you can reset yourself. It was, it was, I thought it was a, an actual, like a solid pacing choice, not a, not a bad thing, yeah. I agree with you. That's why I was confused <laughs> why people had issues with that. Um, that was something that I know I brought up and talked about in a, in a previous episode. I don't remember which one it was now, but um, it was the idea of saying in like literature where, in like kind of postmodern writing where they put like footnotes or something in a in a story to physically cause you to leave the page. Mm-hmm. And break the storytelling so before you come back to it. I look at this sort of thing as a similar forced pause. You know what I mean? Like before we go on to what comes next, take a breath. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what movie we were talking about. I, whatever it was, I feel like you liked it and I didn't agree with it. Um. Oh, it was uh, Mr. Nobody. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. That's exactly what it was. Not that the movie was bad, but I didn't like that portion of it. I didn't like that. See, okay, there. Here's a big difference. Uh, one in this movie, it's very much part of the narrative when they break out like that. In that movie, it was like a little bit of a mind fuck as it happened, and it was yeah. these strange scenes that I don't feel personally added to the movie at all. I thought they took away from it. Okay. Not because of the pacing and the breaking, because of the scene that was used to do it. That's fair. But sometimes some of these, we'll call them creators, you know, content creators, sometimes they kind of do that on purpose as a point to be kind of absurdist. Mm. And sometimes they have to sue AMC to get their money. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different matter entirely. <laughs> um, we were talking about Delphine a little bit, but yeah. um, now in the last couple of years, uh, Sophia Boutel has kind of really made quite the name for herself. She could have really benefited from her trampoline sword legs in this movie. 
<laughs> I really feel like that would have helped her out of a couple of binds. <laughs> um, almost definitely. Um, there's few situations that aren't improved with sword legs. Oh, sorry. I just remembered another scene that made me crack up. When James McAvoy is stabbed in the back and then falls onto the wall and it pushes it further in. And he's like, Gah! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that, was, a good that was strong. That was that was one of those little details that it was nice. Like, hey, you you know what? That is how that would happen. Yeah. And then he couldn't get it out. That another like just just to pour onto that. Like he he, he couldn't reach it to pull it out of his back. That was which great. I can totally relate to because that's often how I feel when I'm trying to get my shirt off after the gym. <laughs> I um. I also have flexibility in the reaching behind my neck issues. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So I was right there with him. No, her character was was interesting. Um, whatever. Well, I'm more she just meant more her things. in general because yeah. I'd never heard of her before Kingsman. Yeah. And she was good in the limited screen time she gets there. Um, but then she was in Star Trek movie. She was in this. She was in... Uh, the Mummy movie that just came out a couple of months ago. She was in that? She's built- oh, she's the Mummy, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's building quite the resume in the last, like, two years. Yeah, that's cool. See where uh, see where it takes her. I was just wondering if, like, what you think of her now that she's built up a bit more screen time. Because yeah, I, I like her. Um, no, she, no, she was good. Uh, I like that she had lines in this movie. <laughs> 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 you know? Uh, Kingsman, she was cutting people up with her feet. Uh, in this movie, she's talking. <laughs> no, but she, I think she can. Uh, she, I, I think she would be an asset to other other films going forward. Uh, I'd have to see Star more. I didn't. Okay, that was the third one, right? Yes, I didn't see that one. I know that they introduced her as a character that I, I'm guessing was supposed to be a character that comes back in the future. I don't know for okay. sure. She may have ended up dying in that movie for all I know because I never saw it. Mm-hmm. Is she going to be in anything coming up? Let me see. I will look that up. Um, I'm looking now. She's in some movie called Hotel Artemis that I've never heard of before. Okay. That Fahrenheit 451. has a weird cast. I can't tell if this is a comedy or something serious. She was in Street Dance 2? That, that means nothing to me. Oh, so I take it she's a dancer. She's in. She's credited as a dancer in a few things. I'm just going to rattle off a couple of names to you. Hey. Sophia Butella, Jenny Slate, Dave Bautista, Jodie Foster, Jeff Goldblum, Charlie Day, Zachary Kinto. Can you tell me what that movie is likely to be? Huh. Half of that group is... Star Trek. <laughs> what did you say? Are from action movies. Yeah, when you you listed all those off, did you were you reading them from a, a list of a cast on a movie? Yeah, a movie that is out already. Uh, a movie that is currently being made. Currently being made. It seems to be really early in production. List the names again. Sophie Botella, Jenny Slate, Dave Bautista. Who, who's, who's she? Jenny Bautista, oh no, sorry, Jenny Bautista, Jenny (laughs) Slate, um, is, hang on a second, let me see if I've got this right before I say it, pause, 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 uh, sorry, Jenny Slate is the worst. Is the worst? 
she's the worst. Oh, the worst. That exactly. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. Um, yeah. So, so Sophia Batella, her Dave Bautista, Jodie Foster, Jeff Goldblum, Charlie Day, Zachary Quinto, Sterling K. Brown. I don't know him. I that, skipped that him. That name last sounds time. familiar. Also, um, he was Chris Darden in American Crime Story. Hmm. He's on This Is Us. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's where I know him from. Yeah, I thought I remember maybe hearing that either you and or Kim watched it. Yep. But yeah, that group of actors and actresses, I I feel like half of them need to go off and go make a movie together, and the other half need to go off and make a movie together but, somewhere else. But instead... What They're they, all together. What are they in? It's called Hotel Artemis. It literally says under the description, plot kept under wraps. Huh. Described as a futuristic thriller. Is this, is this, all these people know information. Yes, correct. All right, that's IMDb. Can we find out any anything more about this, Artemis? And then she's going to be in a movie about Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 451, which looks to be a TV movie. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Jodie Foster starring in Thriller, Hotel Artemis, Variety. Okay. Okay. I'm getting nothing. Yeah, I think it's time to move on from this topic. Thriller, Hotel... Gonna... This is... Can, what, why is it under... What is this? What's the secret? Maybe is it a... Um, do you think maybe the name of the movie is one of those... Like, not... It's just like a project? Like, project name? Like, not a actual... Not the name of the movie? I suppose that could be possible. Although, typically when they have a cast list this big, that they've usually moved past that stage. Right. Which is interesting. Like, a couple of them even had character names. That's so strange. Yeah. I got to know. I got to know. <laughs> Stay tuned. This is the more worst. On that <laughs> oh, man. All right. Do you have anything else you want to touch on with this movie? Not re- really, other than to say that I definitely want to tune in for those fight scenes again. It's pretty badass. There's some pretty cool fight scenes, yeah. But uh, overall, I mean, if it's on maybe and I'm bored and I don't feel like reaching for the remote to flip the channel further, I feel like I'd leave it. I overall enjoyed it. It's a movie that I'll almost definitely watch again at some point. Nice. I like when we don't. I, mean, see, like I like when we don't see eye to eye on it. <laughs> what? I like when we don't see eye to eye on the movie. <laughs> it doesn't happen often. Yeah, I mean, we both we mostly have a uh, pretty similar tastes. We um have we haven't had a movie yet that you liked quite a bit that I haven't liked, have we? Hmm. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. We'll have to we'll have to keep an eye out for one of those. Just so I guess. Send it. Let's see what happens. Let's see if you're liking Glorious Bastards or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, I guess you have to really piss me off to make me hate something. Right. Um, I'm kind of more inclined to be overall a little bit positive towards these things. Mm-hmm. But... I kind of stand by the fact that I didn't hate any of these things we watch. Like I, yeah. I've at least felt averagely about everything we've seen. 
None of it offended my sensibilities. There was, I feel like there was something that we were the opposite on. I can't remember what it was. I'll have to go back to the uh, go back to the records and see. Well, it seemed like you didn't really like Ghost in the Shell, but I kind of liked it. Oh yeah, that was just fun. That's, That's what I'm right. saying. We oh right, 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 right. Around. It's not the other way around. Got it. Got it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we haven't had that yet. More to come. More to come. <laughs> um, that's it for this week's Flicks in the Six. Check out spintune.com each week for new content. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, cheers. <laughs>